you wonder. Ha. That's a good question. I wonder a lot about the future. I wonder if I am choosing the right pathway in terms of how I'm living my life. I wonder a lot of stuff, like what's out in the universe. With a question, what do you wonder? I mean, we could, we could go really, really deep into this. I wonder how long I'm gonna have on this earth and if I'll accomplish my purpose. I wonder why people complain all the time. I wonder where I'm gonna be at in the next five to 10 years. We both wonder, I think, if, if there's ever gonna be grandchildren coming along. I wonder if my kids are going to have a good life. I wonder how we got here. What do we wonder about him? <laughs> I wonder when he's gonna start to lose some weight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wonder. <laughs> That's the question we've been talking about the last few weeks. What do you wonder? What do you wonder? We wonder a lot of things, but all our things have one thing in common. Everything I wonder about revolves around my life, and everything you wonder about revolves around your life. Isn't that true? I wonder about my future. What's my future hold? I wonder about, am I going to accomplish those dreams? I wonder about my goals. I wonder about my hopes. I wonder about, am I going to be able to do the things that I want to do and end up the places I want to end up and go see the things I want to go see? I wonder about my family. You wonder about your family, you wonder about how all that's going to unfold. And then we wonder about bigger things, but again, all the bigger things still revolve around us. I wonder if you know, I'm going to ever live a life that makes an impact and a difference, and am I going to get to the end of life and look back and feel like I've lived a great life? I wonder, do I have a purpose in life? If I have a purpose, then what is that purpose, and how do I figure that out? Those are the things we all wonder about, but everything I wonder about revolves around me. Everything you wonder about revolves around you, because that it's just human nature. It doesn't matter if you're a follower of Jesus or not, if you're a church person or not. We have a lot more in common than we have different. And this is one of the things we all have in common. I wonder about my life. You wonder about your life. That is natural, but it is not helpful. It's not helpful if you want to actually figure out and live out your purpose in life. It's not helpful if you actually want to live a great life, a life of meaning and significance and purpose then wondering just about my life doesn't get us there because there's more to life than just my life and there's more to life than just your life. The way we've talked about it for the last few weeks is this. Most of us go through life living life as if we're looking into a mirror and we pay attention to the things going on around us and I see what's going on in your world and I hate that that happened to you and oh, that's so tough and it must be difficult and you know, how could I help out? And I, I see other things and every now and then I, I turn my attention to what's going on with somebody else. But ultimately, the person in the mirror always distracts me right back to me. And I keep my eyes right there in the mirror and I pay attention to everything going on in my world. And I think, well, as long as I pay attention to me primarily and take care of me primarily and accomplish all the things I want to do primarily, then I'm going to live a great life because I know what a great life looks like. The problem is, that's just not reality. The point of life is not for life to revolve around you. And the point of life is not for my life to revolve around me at some point. You have to embrace this idea if you want to live your purpose. You have to embrace this idea that it's not about you. You've got to put down the mirror, and as we've said, you've got to start living life looking out the window. You've got to live life paying attention to what's going on around you, to the people around you, to what God's trying to do in you, because there's a lot more happening in this world than just 
your life. Once it's not about you, as we've said, then you'll see what to do. Once it's not about you, you start to understand this wonderland of purpose all around you. But part of the reason it is so powerful to put down a mirror and look out a window is because when you look out a window, you start to notice that there is a bigger picture going on than just what you originally saw. There's a bigger picture to life. There's a bigger purpose. There's a larger story that you're a part of. And until you understand that bigger picture and until you understand that bigger story, you'll never live out the purpose for which God puts you on this earth because your purpose fits in the bigger purpose. Your story fits in the larger story of what God is doing in this world. One way to think about it is this. Some of you are probably puzzle lovers. If you've ever had one of those thousand-piece puzzles, imagine trying to put a thousand-piece puzzle together without the box top, without the picture of exactly how it's supposed to look. It'd, it'd drive you insane. But that's how a lot of us are living our lives. We're trying to live our lives without an understanding of the bigger picture of what's going on all around us, the bigger picture of what God is doing in our world and how he wants us to be a part. And so today, as we continue this series... I want to help you see the bigger picture. My goal today is simply this, to help you realize that if you live your entire life focused on you, if I live my entire life focused on my life, that we're actually going to miss the very reason we were put on this earth. This is not even an accurate picture of your life. It's not. You were made, you were created, you, you're going to experience far more. There's way more to you than just the 70 or 80 or 90 years that you're going to be on this earth. Every time I say something like that, somebody who's old says, why are you putting me in the dying category? So 100, 120, I don't know. I don't want to make anybody think they're, they're about done. So whatever the, whatever the time frame is, whatever the span of life is that you have, there is way more to your life than just the 80, 90, 100 years you're going to be on this earth. Let me show you a little more accurate reflection of what your life looks like. This is more like you. This is why we say you are too small a purpose to live for because your life on this earth is actually really, really small compared to the eternity that you're going to spend after this life. This, this time on this earth, it's just a little piece of it. It's just a little piece of it. But if you live your entire life as if this line does not exist, if you live your entire life as if all there is to this life is this little circle, then yes, it makes sense to focus on you. If that line doesn't exist, then you should by all means just pay attention to you. Keep a mirror in front of you and make everything about you. But this is reality. And because there's way more to your life than just this circle, you need to understand the bigger picture of what God is doing in this world and how he wants to use you. And when you begin to understand this bigger picture, then it makes sense that your purpose is way bigger than you. That purpose is always found across the border or on the other side of what's in it for me because this circle is not all there is to you. So my goal today is this, just to help you walk out of here understanding. If you were to put down a mirror and look out the window, I want you to see the beauty of the bigger picture, of the bigger story to which God has invited you to be a part with the purpose for which he created you. Now, interestingly enough, in A.D. 55, A.D. 55, so about 25 years after Jesus' resurrection, 
Paul, the Apostle Paul, he's writing to a group of Christians in the city of Corinth, and he's trying to help them understand because they did not understand. So he's trying to help them understand this idea of a bigger picture and this idea of, okay, your life's not just a circle. Your life's a circle followed by an eternity. You know, you're going to step onto the line at some point. He's trying to help them understand this, and they weren't getting it. Now, if you're not much of a Bible reader, you've never read these letters, Paul wrote two different letters that we still have uh, to the Christians there in Corinth. And you would assume, understandably, that, well, these were good Christian people. They were in the middle of, you know, this city, and they were doing the right things and living the right way, and I'm sure they were moral, and they followed all the rules, and da-da-da. No, no, no. This was not them. These people were as, you know, in the ditch, off the rails, as you could possibly imagine. They had been forgiven by God. They were trying to follow Jesus. They just kept getting it wrong. And I'm not going to give you all the examples, but I'm just telling you, it was, you should read the letter just to see all the crazy stuff going on in that church at that time. They, were, they would take communion, and they would get drunk at communion. That's how nuts it was. Uh, there was one guy that Paul was like, hey, you really do have to stop sleeping with your stepmom. No kidding, not making that up. I'm telling you, they, were all, they made some of you look like saints, and that takes a lot of work. But they would make you look like saints. I'm just telling you, it was a mess. You would think, okay, if there's any group of people who have so screwed it up that God does not have a purpose and plan for them anymore, it's got to be those Corinthian people. I mean, they know better, and they're still doing it. But Paul said, nope, God still has a plan for you. And Paul's belief was this. Paul said, the reason you keep choosing the behaviors you're choosing is because you think your entire life is just this little circle. You're not thinking about the line at all. You're missing the bigger picture. And Paul's belief was, if they could just understand the bigger picture of what God was doing, if they could understand the bigger picture of their life, then it would change the way they behaved. And it would change what they did. So Paul does this. He starts by helping them to understand this circle line concept in his own way, and we'll see this in a minute. And then he explains to them the bigger picture and how their specific purpose God created them for fits into the bigger story or the bigger picture of what God's doing in the world. So some of these verses sound a little confusing. I'm going to warn you up front. You're going to have to think a little bit with me, okay? But I'm going to try to clarify this and make this as simple for you to understand as possible. So we're going to jump right in. Here's what Paul says. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose, I'll explain what that means in a minute, for this very purpose is God, who has given us a spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Now you can read this letter for yourself, but before he wrote this sentence, Paul had been describing something that he then refers to as this very purpose. And what Paul described was simply this. Paul had been telling them, the whole reason God created you was to have a relationship with you. That's true for you as well. Paul said, you've got to understand that God formed you for one reason, and that is for you to be a part of his family forever. It's why he put you on this earth. It's why he created you. It's why he thought you up. Because he wanted a relationship with you. And then Paul says, you also need to understand this. This is pretty amazing. That once you begin to follow Jesus, God's not going to take you immediately to be with him. Because he has a mission or an assignment for you to accomplish before you end up coming to him. So we're going to talk more about that mission in a minute. But he says, God's done something extraordinary. Since you can't go to him just yet, he decided to come to you until you can go to him. So every time a person chooses to begin following Jesus and accepts God's forgiveness, Paul says he gives them his spirit. He places his spirit within them. He comes to them to be with them from that point forward. And that spirit, giving, the, giving us his spirit, is like putting a down payment on a house. It is a deposit guaranteeing that God will do what he promised 
he will do. That God's going to do what he promises you he will do in this life, but that God is also going to do what he promised he would do when you step onto the line, when you step into eternity. And then Paul begins to describe to them, this is what's going to happen when you step out of the circle and you first step onto the line, when you first step into eternity. He says, this is part of the bigger picture. You've got to understand this. He explains to them what's going to take place. Listen to this. He says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things, notice this, done for the things we do while in the body, whether good or bad. So Paul says, you need to understand something. What you do in the circle matters because the minute you step out of the circle onto the line, you're going to be held accountable. You're going to be responsible for what you did with your life in the circle. Now, for some of you, that doesn't sit well, and I get that. I'm going to come back to that in a second. But first, let me clarify something. When Paul's describing this, if you read, read the whole letter, you'd understand this. If, if Paul's describing, when he's describing this, he is not talking about where you will spend eternity. He is talking about what you're going to experience in eternity. Paul has already explained to them, where you spend eternity is determined by what you choose to do with Jesus. If you put your faith in the fact that he offers you forgiveness and you accept that forgiveness, you're going to spend eternity with God. If you choose to reject God on this earth, then you can stay separated from God throughout eternity. God basically gives you what you want for all eternity. So you get to choose. So it's Jesus and what he did for us that determines where we spend eternity. But what you do and what I do with this life whether we live out our purpose, whether we use our gifts and abilities and passions in the right way, the things that we do in this life have an impact, Paul says, on what we experience in eternity, which just means this, and I don't have a lot of time to talk about this, but you should explore it at some point. Paul says this because all eternities are not created equal, okay? All eternities are not created equal. In other words, if you were taught, and a lot of people have been taught this or just got this idea, if you believe that if you go to heaven one day, that everybody up in heaven's pretty much doing the same thing, and we're all sitting on clouds playing harps, and at some point we all end up in a choir, and you know we're just spending a whole lot of time singing, that is not heaven. Actually, that sounds more like hell to me, but you might love that. But that is definitely not heaven, and that is not taught anywhere in the Scripture, okay? When your eternity, what you experience in eternity, is determined but what you do with the life God gives you in the circle. Because God says, I'm going to reward you based on how well you live out the purpose for which I created you. And your experience in eternity will reflect what you do with what I've given you now. That's why everybody, that's why everybody, people who uh, follow Jesus and end up with God for eternity, people who reject Jesus and say, I don't want to, and they end up separated from God for eternity... All of us are going to have to give an account. All of us are going to have to be responsible for what we did. And our experiences in eternity will be impacted to some extent. Not where we spend it, but what we experience will be impacted by what we have done with the life that God has given to us. Now, for those of you, and I get this, for those of you who are like, this is exactly what I don't like about church, and this is exactly what I don't like about faith, this whole idea of God judging is just so judgmental. I mean, I don't want it, that's just ridiculous. Okay, I get that, I get that, but hear me. You may not want to be held accountable for your life, but you want God to hold other people accountable for their lives. You want the people who have hurt you to be held accountable for what they did. 
You want the people who've created pain and suffering in your family's lives or in the lives of your friends, you want them to be held accountable. You want the people who do evil in this world to be held accountable. The thing that you could not stand would be the thought that someone could do evil or could do hurt or could do pain, that someone could do those kinds of things and get away with it on this earth and then never have to answer for it. You do not want to follow a God who lets, lets that happen. So you want God to hold them accountable. And he says, I will, I will, because I am a just God. And justice, this is what we all want. We can't stand injustice. We all want justice. God says, I'm the same way. So justice demands that I hold them accountable. But if I'm going to hold them accountable, justice also demands that I hold you accountable. To hold some people accountable and not hold other people accountable is injustice. So in order to be a just God, in order to uphold justice, I've got to hold all people accountable. So all people are going to have to be responsible and account for what they did with the lives that I've given them. I'm telling you, if, if God wasn't this way, you wouldn't want to follow him anyway. So Paul says, you have to understand, the minute you step out of the circle, onto the line, you're going to have to give an account. Which then brings up the question, and Paul knew this, because these Corinthians were not doing good things in the circle. So it brings up the, the question, well, what should I do then? What should I do so that when I get to that point where I have to give an account, I've done a good job. I'm, I can stand there with my head high. Paul says, well, this is where you need to look out the window and understand the bigger picture of what God's trying to do and how your purpose he gave you fits in the bigger picture of his purpose and what he's trying to do in this world. So let's dive into this. These verses sound a little confusing, but just hang with me, okay? He says, for Christ's love compels us. Now, we'll keep reading in a second. But what Paul is saying is this. Christ's love is what compels us to live out the purpose for which God created us. In other words, I know I just told you about this you know, judgment thing and everybody's going to have to give an account, but you shouldn't do what God created you to do because you're scared of God. You shouldn't be motivated by fear. No, no, no. You should be motivated by the fact that God loves you as much as he loves you. He's not trying to get you to, to do the right thing out of fear. He's not trying to get you to follow rules. That's not his point. This is about relationship anyway. So he wants you to do what you were created to do out of love for him. Out of love for him. Because of the grace and the mercy and the kindness and the goodness that he has shown you. That's what ought to compel you to live out your purpose. And then he continues. He says, for Christ's love compels us because... We are convinced, this is why we should you know, be overwhelmed by this love, because we are convinced that one, that is Jesus, died for all. And therefore, all died. Sounds a little confusing, but here's all he's saying. Paul says, we believe that Jesus came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. That he came to make things right between us and God. And that when he died on a cross and rose again, he did it to pay the penalty for the sins of all people who have ever were or would ever live. That in other words, he died, he took the sins of all humanity on him. Which means when he died, in a sense, everybody died. Because he did for us what we all should have had to do. Paul says because of that, you've got to understand that there's something extraordinary that's being offered to you by your heavenly father. He keeps going. He says, and he, that is Jesus, died for all, that those who live... Those who choose to embrace this gift of forgiveness and follow Jesus, those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. This is just Paul's way of saying, when you look at what Jesus has done for you, good grief, nobody should have to twist your arm to put down the mirror and look out the window. 
as a follower of Jesus, you should just be naturally driven to do this because of the extraordinary love that your heavenly Father has shown you. He continues. He says, all, next verse, all this is from God. What do you mean by all, Paul? Paul's saying all this forgiveness, all this grace, all this mercy, all this kindness, all this peace with God, all this peace with yourself, all this peace with other people, all of this is a gift from God. Who reconciled, this is going to be a real important word, you're going to see Paul keep using it, we'll come back to this in a second, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and then he gave us, those of us who follow Jesus, the ministry of reconciliation. Okay, let's just walk through this for a second. If you are an accountant or you're in finance, you know exactly what reconciled means. If you're not, uh, in other fields, we don't use the word reconciled a whole lot. But here's all it means. To reconcile something means to take two things that are not compatible, they are incompatible, and make them compatible. That's it. So Paul is saying, you need to understand something. The whole reason Jesus had to die and rise again is because you were incompatible with a perfect, holy God. God was perfect love, perfect grace, perfect mercy, perfect kindness, perfect patience, perfect self-control. God was perfect in every way. You are far less than perfect in all of those ways. You have made choices and decisions at different points where you have hurt and offended people God loves and cares about, which means you have hurt and offended God. You can't take something that's perfect and something that's imperfect and keep them together. That's incompatible. So he says, you had a problem. You had a broken relationship with God. You were irreconcilable. And God knew there was nothing that you could do to make up for where you messed up and to make yourself compatible with a perfect God again. So he decided, because he wants a relationship with you that badly, to come meet you where you are, to do everything that needed to be done for you to be able to be compatible with him again. It's the whole point of Jesus coming and dying and rising again. So that when you accept his forgiveness, you get Jesus' gift, which makes you compatible with God once again. He took care of all of that incompatibility so you could have a relationship with him once more. This is what Paul's talking about when he says everything's from God. All this is who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And then, this is the key part, and then for those of us who have chosen to follow Jesus, he says, okay, now you've got a mission now you've got an assignment. Now you've got a purpose. I'm not just going to take you to be with me immediately because there's something very important I need you to do. I'm writing a bigger story. I'm pursuing a larger purpose in this world, and I'm giving you a purpose to be a part of that bigger purpose. I need your assistance. I'm going to give you the ministry of reconciliation. I'm putting it in your hands. Well, Matt, what in the world does that mean? Paul, please explain to us, what are you talking about? Sounds intimidating. Paul says, no, it's not intimidating. It's really simple. He describes it for these Corinthians. He goes on, he says, here it is, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Paul says, okay, here's what you got to know. The minute that you experience this reconciliation, this forgiveness between you and God, then God says, I got a very specific purpose for you, but it's, it's to contribute to a larger purpose I have in this world. And the larger purpose is to make sure every person on the planet knows that everything that needs to be done has been done for them to have a relationship with me. That I'm not counting their sins against them. 
Jesus took care of it. That they can be reconciled to me again. So he says, I'm giving you the job. The ministry of reconciliation, well, what in the world is that? It's just taking this extraordinary message of reconciliation, this extraordinary message that God created you, he loves you, he's for you, and he has a purpose to which he invites you into. Paul says, that message, I'm putting it in your hands. That's what God has done. I'm putting it in your hands. And now your job is to live out your purpose in the context of this bigger picture of what I'm doing in the world to try to help people know that I'm for them and that I want a relationship with them. That means, we talked about this last week, you were created to make a custom design contribution in this world. And you figure that out when you look at the natural abilities God gave you, the spiritual gifts, the life experiences you've gone through, the unique personality God's given you, and the personal passions you have. When you understand that blend and that mix, then you understand God uniquely wired you for a very specific purpose in this world. Nobody else is wired quite like you. And if you don't make that contribution, nobody else can. Nobody else can do it the way you can do it. But Paul says, I'm wanting you to understand, as you begin to figure out that purpose, it fits in the larger purpose of helping people see that God is for them and offers forgiveness to them. That's why he gave you what he gave you. Which just means this. Let's say one of the things you're really gifted at is hospitality. Paul would say to you, you should take this ability to create hospitable environments, to make people feel comfortable. You should use it to the very best of your ability. You should be, you should be the best at what you do. Because you should be so hospitable that it shows people that God is for them just by how well you treat them. It, you should be so hospitable. You should be so good at this that it causes people to stop and go, can you tell me why you're going the extra mile? Can you tell me why you pay such attention to detail? Can you tell me why you're working so hard to make me feel at home? You should be able to show people by how you use your gifts. And it should open up the door. It should earn you the respect and the influence to then be able to share with people that God is for them. If you're gifted to lead, then Paul would say to you, by all means lead. You lead, and you lead to the very best of your ability in your home, in your workplace, in your sorority, in your fraternity, in your whatever organization you're a part of. You lead, and you do it to the very best of your ability. You do it so well that people can see how much, how much God loves them by how well you lead them. And you earn the respect, and you earn the influence to be able to share with them exactly how God feels about them. You take whatever gift you have, you take whatever you do, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's all part of this bigger picture, which means when you go to work, the purpose of your life at work is to show people God's at work in your life. Whatever you do at work, you should be the very best you can possibly be at it. You should do such a good job at it that people say, why do they give so much effort? Why do they go the extra mile? You should show people by how well you do your job. And you should earn the respect and the influence to be able to look at them at some point. When the time is right, when it's appropriate, and share with them, here's why I do it. And here's why I think you matter. This is what Paul's saying for those of us who follow him. You take whatever it is God's gift to you to do, whatever your purpose is. You just got to understand it fits in the bigger picture of this purpose God has to make sure everybody knows. Not everybody's going to accept. He understands that. But at least everybody deserves to know. They have a Father in Heaven who loves them, cares about them, and wants a relationship with them. 
Now, if that's a little confusing, if you're thinking, well, I'm not even sure how that would work, and I don't know if I'm really living in that bigger purpose or that bigger story, let me shift gears for a second and try to help you understand it this way. I want to ask you a question. What's your biggest problem in life? I want you to think about it right now. What's your biggest problem in life? Some of you are thinking, well, I'm actually sitting next to them at this moment. I understand. Just don't say their name out loud, okay? What's your, what's your biggest problem? We've all got a problem that, you know, consumes our mind. That's all we're thinking about. You're worrying about it. Like, what, what's your biggest problem in life right now? Okay? Here's what I know. You show me your problem, and I'll show you what purpose you're living for. Let me see if I can explain that this way. There's an extraordinary book called All the Places to Go by John Ortberg. And as I was reading this, I came across a section that addresses this, and I thought, i just I got to share this. And it's a lengthy section, but I, you guys can handle it, can't you? So just hang with me, okay? We're going to read through this together. But I want to I let him explain how when you show me your problem, you show me your purpose. Here's what he says. He says, you'll be defined by your biggest problem. Okay, you've been thinking about what that is. He says, you're going to be defined by your biggest problem. You can choose if you want to devote your life to the problem of how can I be rich? Okay, well, I don't want to be rich. I wouldn't call it, call it that, but I, but I do want to have a lot. And I do want to, I do want to, I do want Okay, just however you word it. He said, you can devote your life to pursuing that kind of stuff. Or how can I be successful? Or how can I be healthy? Or how can I be secure? Or you can devote yourself, he says, to a nobler problem. Why would I want to devote myself to that? Because your identity is defined by the problem you embrace. Tell me what your problem is, and I'll tell you who you are. Because whatever you choose as your biggest problem, you're going to devote your life to pursuing a solution to that problem. Which means it's going to shape your identity, and it's going to define your life. Now, at this point... He just gets downright rude and a little hurtful, okay? So I'm warning you up front. This is a little hard. Here's what he says. People with small souls. I don't have a small soul. He says, hang on. People with small souls have small problems. Small problems like how to make their lives safer or more convenient. How to put an irritating neighbor in his or her place. How to make wrinkles less visible. How to cope with cranky coworkers or lack of recognition. He goes on. He says, small people are occupied by small problems. Now, you know this. I don't have to convince you of this. Because whatever your biggest problem is, however big or small it really is in the grand scheme of things, you would argue it's big, it's big. To which I would say, yeah, it's big if all there is to your life is the circle. But if there's a circle followed by a line that goes on forever, if there's a lot more to your life than the 80 or 90, 100 years you're going to be here, then how big is your problem really? It gives a different perspective, doesn't it? And Ortberg would argue, whatever your problem is, it's going to occupy all of your thoughts, all of your attention, all of your time, your money, your energy. You know this. We all do this. Whatever our problem is, we're trying to pursue, we're trying to find a solution. We give ourselves to that problem. So he goes on. He says, people who live with largeness of soul are occupied by large problems. You need a God-sized problem. What is a God-sized problem? We'll talk about that in a second. He said, if you don't have one, your current problem is... You don't have a problem, at least not a problem worth living for. And then he says this, people who follow Jesus ask this question, God, what problem in your world would you like to use me to address? God, what problem in your world 
do you want to use me to address? Have you ever had the courage to ask God that question? See, that question takes the focus off of my life. It helps me to see the bigger picture. You know what God's biggest problem in the world is? It's that there are people on this planet who don't know he's for them. People on this planet who don't understand that they can have a relationship with him. People on this planet who don't know he invites them to be a part of his family forever. That there's forgiveness available for their problems. That's God's biggest problem. And he's invited those of us who follow him into that problem to help be the solution. Through the purpose for which he created us. So, here's what I want to do as we wrap up. I want to invite all of us to take what may be a different, but a very unique step towards your purpose. Those of you who don't follow Jesus, those of you who aren't sure you believe, those of you who've had bad experiences and you just kind of walked away, there's a unique step you can take. And Paul's going to give you that step in just a minute. But for those of us who follow Jesus, Paul also invites us to take a step. I want to start with us. Here's a step Paul invites us to take. He says, We are therefore Christ ambassadors, or Christ representatives. As though God were making His appeal through us. As though God through us as His representatives was letting the world know, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Paul said, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have to understand, He left you on this earth to represent Him. You've got to live your life, you've got to do your things, that's fine. But you're part of a bigger story. You're part of a bigger purpose. To let everybody on the planet know they can be reconciled to God. And he wants to use you. Yes, you. With all the issues you have, with all the problems you have, with all the times you don't get it right, it doesn't matter. He still wants to use you. He chose to use you. To share this extraordinary message of reconciliation. And he actually wired you with a specific purpose for you to uniquely do this in a way nobody else can do it. So my question to you is this. If you follow Jesus, would you take the step to offering yourself to him as his representative? To having enough courage to say, okay, God, what problem do you have in your world that you want to use me to address? I don't know that I bring much to the table, but I will give whatever it is you ask me to give. I will do whatever it is you ask me to do. To address that problem in the middle of my life and in the middle of what I'm doing. I'm going to put down a mirror. I'm going to look out a window. And I'm going to use my purpose as part of the bigger purpose you're accomplishing. I'm going to make my story a part of the bigger story that you're writing. Would you be willing to do that? You say, well, I don't know what that even looks like, Matt. I get that. I get that. You're going to have to explore it. You're going to have to ask for some guidance. But for some of you, for some of you, let me tell you a simple step you could take to begin exploring that. You see, this is the whole reason we started this church. Thirteen years ago this weekend, we started. And we did not start this church because we thought Murray needed another church for church people, and let's just create a little better version of what everybody's got so it's a little more enjoyable for Christians. Now, we, we were convinced that we carried... And, this extraordinary message of reconciliation. And what if we could create a church that, yeah, help people who followed Jesus keep growing, 
but also create a church that people who didn't believe, people who had questions and doubts, people who had bad experiences, that when they came, they would actually love the experience. They would feel right at home. And with all their questions and with all their doubts, they would know, you know what? Even if I don't believe I belong here, even if I don't believe, they still care about me. That's why we did this, and that's why we keep doing this. That's why we've done it for 13 years now. That is the sole mission of our church. And for some of you, you have never engaged with us. You've never gotten involved serving here in any way. And I'm telling you, if you would just take the gifts God has given you and a little slice of your time and say, okay, I don't know what this looks like, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer a little slice of my time to help people know that God is for them, to help preschoolers and elementary and middle and high school kids know that God cares about them, to help adults see that no matter what they have in their past, God's still on their side. If you would just give a little slice of your time to do that, you would be amazed at how God works through you and all the other people serving around you to do something way bigger than you, to help people be reconciled to God. We see it happen here every single weekend. So I know it would happen if you would get involved. When you came in today, you got a card, and that card looked like this. And the reason we wanted to give you that card is because for some of you, this needs to be your step. You need to join with a group of people who are trying to share this extraordinary message of reconciliation. It may not be your final step, but it should be a step. If you want to take this step, you can just fill this card out. And if you know you want to serve with preschool or elementary or guest services, you can mark that. If you're not sure, just mark the other. We'll be happy to help you figure out your unique spot, your custom design place. But you need to take this step. Now, I'm going to talk more about this in a couple of weeks, but let me just tell you real quickly. What's bothering me a lot right now, if you want to know what's bugging me and keeping me up at night, here it is. We have a really good problem around here. And you can look around and see that there's not nearly as much space in here as there used to be. And if you have kids, you know there is no space down there with preschoolers or elementary. And you know why we're not able to serve more kids and to serve more adults and to help more kids see God loves them and to help more adults see God's for them? We could serve twice as many kids and twice as many adults if we just had more of you willing to give a little slice of your time to help serve them. That's it. That is the only thing holding us back. Nothing else, but we need more of you to step up and engage with this. And so if this is the next step for you, don't put it off. Take it. Just fill out the card. When you leave today, there are going to be some guest services volunteers with buckets. You can just drop your card in the bucket and we'll follow up with you. But that may be your next step. To be part of a problem bigger than yourself to be part of this problem we are trying to solve to help all people know that they can have a relationship with their Heavenly Father. Now, for those of you who don't have that relationship, Paul didn't leave you out. He said you have a problem too. I know that may be a bit offensive, but he said you have a problem too, and your problem is the same problem all of us have had. Your problem is you are not compatible with a perfect God. What you need more than anything else is the same thing I need, and that's forgiveness. But Paul said, good news... There is a solution. His name is Jesus, and he died and rose again so you could be compatible, so you could have forgiveness. Here's how he put it. Here's your invitation. He said, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's just his way of saying that in him, everything would be good between us and God. Jesus came to clean up what you had messed up and what I had messed up. 
He died and rose again to pay the penalty for all our sins. He, he came to us when we could not go to him. He did what was necessary to make us compatible when we could do nothing to get compatible with God. And your invitation is this. It is simply, will you admit that you're not compatible? Will you admit that your relationship with God is broken? Will you believe that Jesus has already done everything that needs to be done for that to be reconciled? And will you just choose to receive the gift of forgiveness he's offering? It really is that simple. So as we close, I want to give you an opportunity if you want to accept God's forgiveness to do it right where you are. And then we're going to end with a final song that I hope serves as a little period of time for all of us to say, God, I don't know exactly what this looks like for me, but I'm willing to offer myself to the one who created me, the one who loves me, and the one who has a purpose for my life. So let's pray together. If you want to receive God's forgiveness, you can simply do that in your heart, in your mind right now. Say, Father, I, I admit that I've broken my relationship with you. I admit that I'm not compatible with you. You're perfect. I've sinned plenty. I've hurt plenty of people. But I believe Jesus did for me everything that needed to be done. It makes sense to me today. I believe he died and rose again to offer me forgiveness, to reconcile me to you. And so I'm going to choose to accept that forgiveness. I'm going to choose to be a part of your family. I want that relationship with you. Father, thank you for doing for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Thank you for the people who just chose to receive that forgiveness. Thank you that you offer that forgiveness unconditionally. Thank you for making us part of your family. Help us not to live our lives just focused on the circle, but to live our lives in the bigger picture of what you're doing. And whatever it looks like for each of us, and it'll be different, help us to see how you can take our everyday lives, how you can take our everyday gifts, but use the purpose for which you created us to be a part of your bigger purpose, to show people how much you love them. What an incredible honor that is to do. Thank you for inviting us to be sons and daughters of yours. Nothing can change that. And for that, we are extremely grateful. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand?